Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 1. I would say we're going to be in a series there, but I have commitment issues, and the last time I said that, it only lasted two weeks. So we're just in 1 John today. We'll see what happens. If you're not familiar with 1 John, the, the context is that John the Apostle that was with Jesus, who also wrote the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, is writing to a bunch of different churches dealing with a bunch of false teaching. Most of the letters written in the scriptures, Paul's letters, John's letters, are written because of false teaching and corrections that needed to be made with churches dealing with things like we deal with today politics, discrepancies, power plays, all kinds of stuff. In the case of 1 John, all of this was most likely taking place in the city of Ephesus, which was probably the second largest city at this time next to Rome, and in the kind of global political world was a pretty big powerhouse. It's in modern day Ephesus, and there's still a ton of Ephesus. Did I just say modern day Ephesus? I meant modern day Turkey. Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. And there's still a ton of it left. It's, it's pretty cool. I got to go there when I was 16, and I was really not happy about it. I was actually quite upset with my parents for forcing me to go on this expensive trip because at that point, life was just simple and beautiful. I had a truck and a girlfriend, and we had bonfires, and life was great. And they took me away from all of that greatness to go with a bunch of really, really old people, actually, <laughs> other than my sister. And at 16, I just I wasn't happy about that. I brought a few pictures. Pictures. This is Ephesus, and it's pretty cool to see all of the, the remains. That like this is where John walked at the, the time. He knew these places. He went to the library. He had conversations. He taught in this context. Next uh, picture, we read about this moment in Acts where sermons were, were given. This, this place was incredible because you could be at the, the very top and someone would talk without a microphone at just the most normal voice and you could hear clear as day. Next. So this picture is pretty fantastic. To the far right, the guy that looks like he's picking his nose, his name is Craig. And Craig, excuse me, is, is a little bit older than me, quite a bit older than me, but he was an absolute godsend because other than my sister there, Craig was like the youngest by far except for my parents. So I was like 17 days. Craig was this uh, a youth guy out of Michigan. We've stayed in touch since I was 16, which has been, been pretty fun. And then we have, I think, one more. Oh, two more. There's my father. He looks completely like a tacky tourist, which is pretty... <laughs> entertaining. And then the last one of the library here, look at that, white sunglasses. Apparently I thought that was cool. I also need a lot more sun was my takeaway from this, this picture. I don't have that anymore. I asked my mom to send me pictures. She sent me a bunch. It was pretty, pretty entertaining looking at this, but that's Ephesus. And so I share those just to give you a, a glimpse of like, this is a real place where you can go and walk, uh, where people were just going through real things. So with that in mind, we'll go ahead and read the, the first four verses of this letter. <clears throat> John says, 
what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There's two really substantial things that John, who's writing this letter to the people there in Ephesus, wanted to make sure they understood, and that's what we're gonna kind of spend our time talking about, those two things. The first comes in the first half of the first sentence where we read this. What was from the beginning? What was from the beginning? I don't know if you've ever like showed up very late to a movie at a movie theater, and you have to find in the dark the people you're supposed to be sitting with and it's awkward because you kind of are going up and down and people are like, why is this person here late? Or perhaps you're the person that's never late and you're frustrated with the person that's late and they walk in front of everybody and spill soda and popcorn and then it's like 15 minutes in and you don't have a clue what the movie's about because the first few minutes set the whole stage in context. And so if you're bold enough and don't care about everybody else, you kind of whisper and try to find out. Otherwise, you sit there and you don't really understand the whole movie. Even if you just missed the first 15 minutes, you're playing catch up the entire time because the beginning matters. The beginning sets the stage. If you really pay attention closely, the beginning of any movie or book pretty much sets the tone for how it's going to end. You wouldn't normally read a story and just like, oh, I think I'm gonna start in the middle and then I'll just figure out the rest. That wouldn't make sense. It would be disoriented, disorienting, excuse me, and confusing. One of my, uh, my daughters is adopted and she'll often ask us questions about her beginning. Some answers we have, some we don't. Why? Because it matters because it impacts her, it impacts who she wants to be, who she doesn't want to be, it impacts questions of today. There's significance with the beginning. So John says, what was from the beginning? Meaning, Jesus is God. Jesus was from the beginning. There was nothing that was created that was not created and designed by Jesus. He is the the Almighty, the God of our universe. Right out of the gate, the thing that John wants to proclaim and establish is that Jesus is God. And today in in our culture, this can be a debate for people. Was Jesus just a a good teacher? Was he a moral man? Did he have a, a good philosophy? And we can argue about that. And what John says is Jesus was God. Jesus was from the beginning. And anything short of that is not good enough. If Jesus wasn't God, if Jesus wasn't divine, if he was not indeed from the beginning, then he wouldn't be worth following. He would not be worth sacrificing for. And as we frequently say, he would not be worth trusting always, no matter the moment. He'd just be a good guy, a wise man, somebody to look up to, aspire to. I mean, to sacrifice your life for someone else is pretty remarkable, but it's not unheard of. Jesus is only worth following if he's actually God, if his vision is something he can make a reality, if he can 
change the course of history, if he can destroy all diseases, if one day he really will restore all broken stories to beautiful. So to, to be clear, because there's false teaching happening in Ephesus, John is saying any false teaching that does not, or that does, excuse me, proclaim that Jesus is not God, that's a Jesus that isn't worth following. Any understanding of Jesus where he's not divine and in control and creator and designer is not worth it. John says something really similar. You'll hear the, the patterns in his language and kind of his authorship and, and his gospel. We'll read in uh, chapter one, verse one. John says, in the beginning was the word, meaning Jesus, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The first thing John wants these people to know that we need to know is that Jesus is, in fact, God. Second key comes in the, the first sentence as well. What was from the beginning, and then we have this. What we have heard with their own eyes, I mean with their own ears, because you hear with your ears, not your eyes, if you're a normal human being. What we have seen with our own eyes, what we have observed, what we have touched with our own physical hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and again, we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What is the theme here? It's all physical. Now it's the opposite. It's the humanity of Jesus, and it's, it's pretty intriguing. In today's culture, we'll wrestle with and debate about whether or not Jesus was God. That's what's hard for many to grasp, but at this date and time, what was harder for them to grasp was not Jesus as God. It was Jesus as human. That was the primary thing they wrestled with because there's this teaching, this thought called Gnosticism, which we still have in different forms today. And it's this really basic idea to kind of oversimplify that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. And today, many of our, our churches and teachings are impacted by that as well, that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. We spend almost all of our time talking and teaching and thinking about our quote-unquote spiritual lives. But Jesus was not merely spiritual right out of the gate, as soon as he establishes that Jesus was God, he establishes, John, that is, that Jesus was human and that that was good and that that was needed. That Jesus took on flesh. He chose to be like us. It's kind of surprising, but it's actually true that almost all of the epistles written in the New Testament, these letters that we read, whether John wrote them or Paul or anyone else, a huge portion of them, the majority, are written about this very fact, 
that Jesus was human, to affirm that, to make that argument, because it's that important. I think it's something, though, we don't often think about. What if Jesus wasn't human? Would that actually matter? Would it make a difference? That the answer is yes. Theoretically, the starting point is we would not relate the same. He wouldn't be as trustworthy. We could theoretically say, well, Jesus, you're God. You can have whatever you want and do whatever you want whenever you want, and I can't. You've not walked in my shoes. You've not experienced what I've experienced. But our God was so humble and so confident and so willing that he took on flesh to be just like us. Do you ever find yourself creating that chasm, that gap when you pray? And when you pray, you see God as this powerful but spiritual being elsewhere. And so we pray like that. We pray as if he's distanced and lacks understanding. After all, how could he get the things we go through? Last week, I went to this uh, (coughs) school accreditation thing that a, a number of parents were asked to go to, and so I'm sitting there with these 10 parents and and two administrators that were doing this review for the accreditation of the the school that some of our kids go to, and I know one person there. So there's nine other people I've never met in my life. I'm either sitting next to them or sitting across from them in like a, a small little area. And we've been there about 30 minutes, And at one point, one of the the guys leading this little meeting says, if you could have a magic wand and change anything you wanted about the school, what would it be? And different people had different answers. And the one person I know, her name's Deborah, she speaks up and she's like very clearly in deep thought about how she's going to word what she's going to say. And she looks around like this. She goes, like taking everybody in, assessing all of the parents there, she goes, you all clearly have some really wonderful children. And I was thinking to myself, well, thank you, Deborah." <laughs> and then she goes, but some of us don't have that. Some of us have some really challenging kids. And she, she points right at me. And I was like, wow, well, the one person I thought I could trust in this group just <laughs> called me out really quick and then What she said, what she meant, made sense. She's actually really funny. She said, I wish that this this school had further resources and an opportunity for for kids that have unique needs and and learning and conversations that are required. And what we share in common is we both have adopted children. And she's right. There's unique challenges that are presented in that. I remember as a kid, one of my best friends was adopted. And it seemed like his parents just always treated him differently. And I would not understand that. I remember as an adult watching close friends of mine who had adopted children being like, what in the world are you doing? Judging how they parented could seem harsh or like there was no structure, a variety of different things. And I I could not have been wrong, more wrong about that. I I remember one time at my house, one of my my best friends was there, our kids were playing, and my my daughter did something for like the 90 millionth time. And so I sent her to a time out, though it was very cold and raining, into or out to the trampoline, because we just decided this was best. If you sent her 
to a timeout inside the house, things get crazy. Like they're thrown, it's, it's wild. So we send her out. And my friend looked at me fairly, fairly harshly. I still remember this moment. He's like, you can't do that. And I got kind of angry. I said, you do not get to tell me how I am going to parent in this moment because you've never done it. You've never lived this out. You've never processed these challenges. You don't know why we created this system because of all the complexity and different things that are going on. You've not earned the right to speak to me that way. And we're still really great friends. <laughs> but there's something about walking in those shoes. Until you've done it, you just don't get it. It's the same with, with leading things. People that have all kinds of critique for leaders that have never actually led anything. Like, well, your critique doesn't offer much to me or to anyone else until you've had to make lose-lose choices, until you've had to weigh the complexity of different things and bear that responsibility. You've not earned the right to speak into that. There's all kinds of things scenarios, relationships, where we rush too quickly into something without earning the right to be heard. But something we can say with Jesus is that there's no situation in our lives, there's nothing you feel or will go through where he has not earned the right to be heard, where he's not earned the right in his humanity to be heard, to be listened to, because he understands what you're going through. The, uh, the other night, I, I woke up to a, a really horrific noise. It was like my eighth night in the last 12 nights waking up to this terrible, terrible sound. It's, it's very familiar. You're going to recognize it quickly. It sounded something like this. No, no. And that woke me up. And I thought, well, that's not good. And then I waited a second, and I, I heard, you kind of like, when I wake up now, I just kind of try to go back to sleep and hope it was a dream or something. I'm making it. <laughs> doesn't ever work, but I still try. And then all of a sudden, next thing I know, I hear, Hook! and I'm like, oh, man, which kid is it? And I follow the horrible sounds into my bathroom, and there's my poor, lovely wife keeled over, vomiting into a bag. And the, the real shameful part of this is that it was only like not that long before that my son had been vomiting everywhere. But he is the best kid. I love this kid. If you know him, he's hilarious. He just can't figure out how to be sick. He's the worst I've ever met in my life at being sick. I had to give a sermon like four years ago about when he had like a cold and I punched a wall and put a hole in the wall in his room because he can't figure out how to blow his nose. Like he just, and I lost it. And this time I didn't want to get, didn't want to get mad. I wanted to grow as a father. And so I walked into his room and like, there's a bowl. It's a big bowl. And that's where he was supposed to do this if he happened to get sick. But he, he vomited everywhere except for where the bowl was. Like he covered the room, like the carpet, the bed frame, all of the bedding. And I, I walked in half asleep and I just stared. And it like took me, and then I like walked out of the room and then I just came back. I don't think I even said anything and I just stared. And then I kid you not, I looked at that wall where I did my really bad patchwork on the drywall and I was like, 
I, I just, I don't even know what to do. So I waited, I just sat there. And then finally Chelsea came and she cleaned it all up. And then she got sick and that's pretty, it's pretty messed up. She's at home sick now, so that's fantastic. Here's a thought maybe you've never had. I'm going somewhere with this. And you might think this sounds sacrilegious or, or terrible. And if so, you can just get over it. Jesus almost guaranteed keeled over at multiple times in his life and just vomited everywhere. Think about that. The almighty God of the universe who gloriously, and I use this word intentionally, allowed himself to be hung up on a cross to save our lives, the same God who one day, a few days later, actually not one, that's bad math, would rise from the grave to walk as the king of the world, had moments where he puked, where he couldn't stand, where he was miserable and probably groaning and just vomited it all out. He went to the bathroom like we went to the bathroom and he had to eat like we have to eat. He was human and he chose that to be like us. He got the flu. He had some really great moments and, and family memories, some sweet ones we read about that were precious with his mom. And then he had some times that his mom drove him crazy. He's like, eh, let's, who's my mom? Don't worry about her. He had family members at holidays say all kinds of crazy things about him and talk trash behind his back. They talked about politics. Eventually, politics would kill him. He probably had some, some days and nights with fever. Sometimes he was freezing cold. Sometimes he was overly hot. Sometimes he was comfortable. Sometimes he was exhausted. Sometimes things were really great. He went to, to weddings and drank wine and they had parties and everything was like he did what we do. Have you ever thought about that level, that depth? of his humanity. Within the first sentence, what John wanted the church, like us, real people, to know about Jesus was that he was both fully God and fully human. Because both of those things are, are really, really critical. When you're tempted, you can know Jesus too was tempted by Satan himself. He was hungry, he was thirsty. When you experience the gap between what life is meant to be and what it actually is right now, Jesus did. We read that Jesus wept when people died. Jesus felt sickness, he mourned when people were lost. He experienced all of it. On our, our sign here it says, broken stories becoming beautiful. Sometimes it feels like we're stuck in the word becoming. <laughs> we're not quite to the beautiful part. Jesus knew that well. He experienced all the things that we've experienced. I think that sometimes we feel like the word human in the scriptures is a bad word. We read things like, don't be of this world, or don't be led by the flesh, and we think that means our physical bodies, and that's not at all what it means. Jesus rose with that same body. He came to Thomas and said, feel these wounds. And the image in the end is of us having resurrected bodies. Better, but bodies nonetheless. There's a physical component that is really good to how God created us. Human in the, the scriptures is not a bad word. Jesus did not take on humanity to conquer it. Jesus took on humanity to fulfill and redeem it. To guide us to be human the way we were made to be. God, Jesus designed human. Jesus died for human. Back to, to the Gospel of John, 
pick up right where we left off in verse 14, we read about this as well. The word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and explained, exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me, as in was from the beginning. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Frequently in the scriptures we're given these marriages of heaven and earth, of the physical, of the spiritual, and Jesus is that. He's the perfect marriage of being fully God, fully divine, and fully human, guiding us to be who we're made to be. I'll I'll close now with uh, the last two verses that we're going to read this morning, verses three and four. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete saying we have fellowship, we have union, we get to walk with Jesus, we know him. And then there's almost this kind of interesting selfish language. He says, we write these things so that our joy may be complete. Like it is good to walk with, to know, to be unified with Jesus. And there's this invitation to it. The the more important a relationship is, the more important the proximity I like good coffee. I don't need to know the people that roast the coffee. That doesn't impact my life. But the the further along in this progression of importance of relationships, the greater proximity is. Some of you work remote jobs and that works good. For some of you, your job would not work remotely. If I, I think about the relationship I had with my father, it would have been very different if I didn't get to be with my father. And moments when I needed discipline, and moments I needed to be taught, and moments I needed him to hear me, and moments I was coached. In in the moments of life, proximity with my father was essential. The more important the relationship, the more important the proximity, how much more so when it comes to our God. And that adds pretty immense meaning to the word became flesh and made his residence among us. He became like us and walked with us. And I think we can get kind of nervous to say things like Jesus vomited, but most likely he did. He went through the things we've been through. Whatever you're going through, whether you're exhausted or excited, whether you're worn down, whether you don't feel good or you feel great, whether you're you're losing a loved one or you're fighting a battle yourself, whether relationships are good or you're nervous about what that person's saying about you, he's been through it all. And so there's unbelievable goodness in the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully human and there's no situation that you've yet lived or will live. There's no place you're feet will take you, there's nothing your ears will hear, there's no situation where he's not earned the right to be heard. Because not only does he understand, he can and he will do something about it. John is saying, we have this joy 
because there is nobody like Jesus. There's no God proclaimed that took on flesh, that humbled himself to be like us, to deal with the things we dealt with, to endure the impact of sin in the world and suffering. He did. And there's no God that can stand against his power, his control, him actually being in charge. We have fellowship, union with this God. And John's saying, and we want you to have it too. And the only way you have it is if you cherish his divinity and his humanity. The one who's fully human, the one who is from the beginning, the one who understands all things. So as we pray, as we live, as we walk, my encouragement is very simple. It's the same as John's was. That we never take for granted who Jesus is as God, and we never take for granted who Jesus is as the one who chose to take on flesh to be like us. There's great encouragement in who our God is. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that for reasons beyond what we can understand, you chose to be like us. You declared humanity good, the physical world good, that there's nothing you don't understand, there's nothing you've not felt and experienced, and so we can trust you. And we thank you that you are God, that you're in control and you're in charge. May that impact how we think, how we pray, where we go, what we say, how we listen. We love you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.